three and two and one and clap. Oh my gosh, it feels so good every time. It's good to get the day going with some clapping. You know, you got to move the body. You got to clap the hands. I start every day by giving myself a round of applause. Just you because know what? Mm-hmm. Tell it me just about it. Seems, seems like the right thing to do. I love that. That actually kind of really goes well with what we're talking about today. Well, welcome back to the podcast, A to Z with Clint and Katie. And today, Katie's at the helm. I'm leading this ship. I'm leading it. Educating all of us, myself included, about interpersonal. Is it inter or intrapersonal? Great question. It's intrapersonal communication, which I didn't. uh, First of all, hi, everybody who's listening. I love you. Hi. It's intrapersonal communication, which I just recently, I mean, obviously, I knew it existed in the world, but I never thought of what the name of it was, but interpersonal is what you and I are doing right now. We're talking to each other. Through Zoom on robots. Right. We're talking to each other. Uh, but intrapersonal communication is how you talk to yourself. Oh, boy. Which I am fascinated by because I feel like so much of our world experience is really kind of a product of the stories we tell in our head. You know, Hmm. like you and I have a shared experience for sure. Like the earth is round and gravity exists, but we can experience the same thing, the same event, but have extremely different perspectives and experiences of that event because uh, because of who we are. But of course, because of the stories we're telling ourselves, the experiences we have had in the past, how that all kind of connects and what we are saying to ourselves in our head about how we're processing these like external events. And I just think that's so really interesting. So I have a little definition I'll read to you. Okay. So intrapersonal communication is the process by which an individual communicates within themselves, acting as both the sender and receiver of messages and encompasses the use of unspoken words to consciously engage in self-talk or inner speech. So there's a couple of ways that this manifests uh, typically. There can be like imaginative interactions, they call it, which I do often, which is like you're in your head and you're like acting out an argument, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever done this, but... Uh, 24-7. Right? Me too. Uh, and I know that it's not necessarily a healthy habit, but I sometimes, like whatever drama I'm needing to play out, I just, you know, over and over and over again. I've had that argument 28 times, which then... Um, let's say I'm having that argument with a family member. That argument hasn't happened in the world. It has only happened in my head 28 times. Mm-hmm. But I have had the emotional experience of it in my body because I've been playing this thing out in my head. So then when I see that family member on some level, that argument happening 28 times exists between us because it has existed for me on, on some level. Does that make sense? Yeah. So then it, it's almost like a form of insanity. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we're all, is that in the diction? Is that, is that a, one of the popular uh, uh, colloquial definitions? It's alluded to heavily. It's heavily alluded to. Right. So there's these imaginative interactions. uh, And then there's also kind of just this way in which we parse stuff out and we have like different aspects of our personality that have different, you know, feelings and, and perspectives and how they kind of, you know, battle it out. Sort of that proverbial like angel on one shoulder, devil on the other. So there's that kind of, of self-talk as well. And then there's this dude named Joseph Jordania. Shout out to him for having a great name. Shout out Joseph Jordania. Joseph Jordania. So he is an ethnomusicologist. Do you know what ethnomusicology is? That hasn't been the toilet paper word of the day yet. So Yeah, I didn't know either. It's basically the study of music from the cultural and social aspects of the people who who make the music, which I think I could have guessed that. I should have guessed that. I mean it's in the word, but I too was like, (laughs) what is this? Let me let me Google it. It says it's a holistic investigation of music. It combines like psychology and anthropology and linguistics and music theory and history and all these kinds of things, which I think is so cool. I would never have even known that existed really. But so this dude, Joseph Jordania, 
suggested that self-talk and talking to oneself is like from way back in the day, an effort to avoid silence. Because a long time ago, people like, you know, back in the day when we were running away from animals and stuff and living in caves and whatever, like you would use these kind of call and response stuff to to keep, you know, up with the people that were in your community. And if there was silence, that was kind of seen as like a threat, right? That was perceived as like dangerous. Ominous. And so yeah. And so as we've evolved, we no longer need to do the same kind of call and response stuff to make sure everybody's alive. But yet on some level we are scared of silence. So we if in when we don't have a podcast going or a song going or you know, something external, we talk to ourselves to keep ourselves company and remind us that we're um, not alone. Like we're wired to assign ominous or danger to quietude. Yeah. Which is interesting because I feel like so there's so much effort made by several different kinds of philosophies and religions, but definitely in a current moment, like heavy emphasis on meditation or something to make things quiet, to try to right. like, from what I understand, I don't practice meditation, but from what I understand, the whole idea of that is to silence that inner voice that's kind of always ringing, always suggesting, always distracting, is to sort of almost drown it out so that you can just be, quote unquote, in a moment, in the moment. Yeah, I think I think quite a bit of meditation. I think there's two takes on that that I'm aware of. One is, yes, quiet your mind, which also feels like a lot of pressure because when is your mind ever truly quiet? I mean, for me, not often. One version of meditation is to try to quiet the mind and have like presence in a moment. And then the other version is to allow the moment to be and to just be like aware of thoughts as they come, but don't be attached to them and don't beat yourself up if you have them. And that's the time of med- meditation I, I more, I, I enjoy more because I feel less shame when I do it wrong. I've tried it. It lasts for me about 90 seconds. I, I once toured with a guy who, I didn't know him very well. I had just met him. We've become since become great friends. But we were first of all, we met at a rehearsal on on a Thursday. The f- next Friday, we flew to the UK together, where we did a two week tour in the UK, wow. where I've never I had never been at the time. And we were sharing a hotel room. He was the drummer. I was the guitar player in this band with this artist named Mindy Smith. And uh, when we finally got into our hotel room, we were like kind of conked out from the travel. And he was like, "Hey, I'm going to go meditate." He's like, I don't want to freak you out, but I'm going to go basically in the corner of this hotel room and meditate. And I was like, oh, do I need to, um, do you want me to turn the, t- like, what do you, what do you need me to do? Do you want me to go in the lobby? Do you want me to just be, is it quiet time for me? Mm-hmm. And he was way into meditation. He was like, honestly, man, he's like, I do that. I've been doing this every day for like 20 years. Wow. Actually, he's like, I'm really good at it. I don't need you to do anything for me. And then he went and sat and faced a wall for an entire hour and just sat there. I could not believe it. It really impressed me. I was like, this motherfucker is Zen. And then I do have to say, after our first show in London, he, he met a lady and he stayed up real late. And then he came back to the room and he peed the bed. <laughs> you almost, Katie almost spit her drink out, by the way, for those who can't see that. I was not, I was not expecting, I was not expecting that turn of events. I did um, wonder after that event, like, oh, how zen is he really? I mean, I'm no offense, but he did pee the bed. He did. He did. He should have calmed that bladder before he calmed that mind. Um, that is <laughs> that is a rough, rough hang. Poor guy. Um, <laughs> that was one of the first days that we met. I tell that story all the time. <laughs> Preferably if he's in, in, in company. I love to tell that story. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask is like, do you still know him? And like, is that, is he wondering like if, where you are out in the world? If that's how you remember him? Oh, um, yeah. Well, I mean, I remember him for lots of nice things, but that's one of the most memorable things that's ever happened to me just as a human being. So he gets to be the guy that kind of did that to me. I, I woke up to him telling me, he was like, man, I, I, because I was like, wow, you, someone stayed out late. Someone had a good time. He's like, I did. He's like, I really did. He told me a little bit about, the evening he had, which mm-hmm. sounded like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, man, I hate to say it. He's like, I've never really done this, but I just, I had a lot to drink and I had kind of a long night and I really, I hate to say it, but I peed the bed last night. Oh, and I was no. like, Jesus, <laughs> nice oh, to meet no, you. No, no. Anyway, so, but he, he had a good quietude. He had a good sense of quietude about him, I suppose. Well, I am imp- I'm impressed with his meditation. I've, I don't think I've ever meditated for an hour, but I do meditate most days from this app, this this uh, waking up app with Sam Harris, who I'm obsessed with. 
Um, uh, yeah, that's uh, I listen to his normal podcast, which shout out to Sam Harris, by the way, if he wants yeah. to be a guest on yeah, come ABC chat with, with us. Clint and Katie, come hang out. I've been reading his work for 10, 15 years. Pretty influential for me, but I've never really checked out the app, the 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 meditation side of what he does. I love it. I love it because for me, it it is we've talked a lot about this. Like you are an atheist. I'm not religious, but I do have a belief in higher things. Um, but the meditation, sometimes that stuff can get a little too woo-woo for me. Mm-hmm. Not that I can't go there, but it's just like I don't, that's not what I'm looking for. Like when I do yoga, I'm not looking for spiritual enlightenment. I'm looking for, you know. Or a workout. I'm looking for kind of something in between for me. And so in the same way for, for you know, I think Sam Harris is an atheist, isn't he? Yes. I think he is. Yeah. So is. his meditations are really hit like a real sweet spot for me of presence and discussing consciousness, but not in a way that feels preachy to me or feels like I've got to, to do something like spirit. I've got to have some sort of spiritual enlightenment in this moment or have failed at this meditation today. It's like, no, no, no. Whatever you do is what you were supposed to do. The act of doing it is what, you know, here's a question. Ask yourself this question. But it's really, I love it. I was watching that that thing that you sent me, that guy that does the in the 90s, back in the oh, 90s that's series. my favorite. Mm-hmm. That guy is a stone cold genius. He's also welcome. I'm sure he's listening. He's welcome to come on the podcast anytime as well. But I'm going to say his name because he's too good for us to talk about and not say his name. Kevin James Thornton. Kevin James Thornton. Yeah. He's the back in the 90s guy. Yeah. Which you and I are kind of children of the 90s. So yes. it resonates with us. We're of a certain age. and mm-hmm. But one of his ones, he wasn't just being funny. He was just taking a walk outside and he was like, you know, the things you didn't get to do in your 20s, it's okay. Like, do them in your 30s. And if you can't do mm-hmm. them in your 30s, do them in your 40s. And he was like, really pay attention to those moments because that actually is your life. Mm-hmm. The path that you're on to get to all these things that you maybe beat yourself up about, that path that you're on, actually, that's just what your life is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it sounds it sounds like something you would read on like a Hallmark card, but it it really hit me. Like it really made me appreciate kind of where I'm at and like where my wife's at and mm-hmm. just kind of what's going on. So anyway, yeah. Uh, in ad- in addition to just laughing so hard, tears were rolling down my oh, eyes at his gosh. more funny posts. Shamala hamala. Exactly. This is the best. Everybody, please go check out Kevin James Thornton on Instagram and his comedy. So you saying that intra intrapersonal, like talking to yourself. I like hearing the sort of evolutionary explanations for it instead of, because I do that a lot. And some of it's, I tell myself stories to justify behavior, good and bad. I tell myself mm-hmm. stories to justify feeling sad or feeling disappointed by things I can't control. Mm-hmm. I tell myself stories a lot because I feel like I'm just solving problems. Like I, I'll turn over something in my head as a way of kind of feeling like I'm just trying to solve something. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I, I like your you just you know explaining it that way because it makes me feel less like a narcissistic, self-involved egomaniac. Well, first of all, I think narcissistic, self-involved egomaniacs are normally not feeling or asking the question, "Am I a self-absorbed narcissistic egomaniac?" So if you're asking the question, I think you're safe. Um, awesome. But we all, I mean, we all like it, like even everything we were just talking about about Kevin James Thornton and you kind of like recognizing like this is where I am in my life and <clears throat> the path that I've been on has been my life. You know, in those moments when when we are rushing to get to the next thing, the internal story that we've been told by the world and that we've internalized and now we're telling ourselves is some version of like, I've got to work to get to this milestone and then I will be happy. Right. You know, that story is like, I will be happy when X, Y, and Z happens. And you get there and you're like, oh, I'm not happy yet. Okay, well, no, I'll be happy when the next thing happens. And all of that is a story that we are intrapersonally telling ourselves when what if we could change that story and go, oh, can I be happy now with or without these things? Can I recognize that this is my life right now without needing to get somewhere in the future in order to start, you know? Hmm. So all of that is is part of like, I mean, I really think that everything, almost everything is, you know, I mean, there's no denying science and facts and events that happen, but so much of our experience around them, I think, is is related to kind of this processing that we have in our head, which also connects to like who we were as kids and how we were brought up and the stories that we internalized from back then that now we don't even consciously know that we we have those thoughts. They're just so, they're buried so deeply. There's two ways we kind of do self-talk 
one is second person and then one is first person. So the second person would be like when I have to like say for myself, if I have to overcome something hard or I'm mad at myself, it's like, Katie, I cannot believe you just did that. I cannot believe you just, you were late again. You know, you're not supposed to be late. You are, Katie, you're such a piece of crap. Like that sort of yelling at myself thing is an example of second person. But then first person is usually when I'm, when you're feeling big feelings. It's like, oh man, oh wow, I'm really sad. Or, oh my God, I'm feeling so good today. And so you're talking to yourself from the first person narrative, uh, which I think is really interesting. And like when you're doing that second person and you're yelling at yourself or you're scolding yourself or you're encouraging you, who's doing that? Like whose voice is that? Is that Yeah, that's interesting. Your parents' voice? Is that your voice? Is it, you know, is it adult you talking to the little kid you? Is it your parents? Is it society? Is it like where where does that voice come from and does it change? Which is something I think is cool to think about. I always think it's cool to think about like who, what is the voice in your head? Like sometimes I'll say things in my head and I'm like, oh, wow, that was my dad. Because I, it's just the way it comes out. It is in my head, of course, is absolutely, you know, a reflection of growing up with my dad and, and a lot of his stuff getting internalized in me. And you could say that it's a part of me, which it is, but it's his voice that I've then adopted as my own. And I have that for lots of people in my life. And I think most of us do. Have you ever contemplated that before? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, in my 20s, I was in a lot of personal and couples therapy in varying different ways. And one of the things that I learned about myself is like, I have a programming that is definitely from childhood, Mm -hmm. from, from whatever, from tough stuff in childhood or even happy stuff in childhood. But I have a programming where I have voices in my world that tell me certain things. And what I learned in my 20s was that that voice was often an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. And coming to terms with that for me, what that looked like to me was, I don't think I ever got to a point where the voice is gone. I just think I've gotten to a point where I, up to a place where I no longer trust that that voice is always correlating with like the truth. I don't mm-hmm. let that voice really Dictate matter things. as much. Yeah. But, but it is sad in a way that like, it's just tamped down a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. not gone. And I, mm-hmm. I don't, I wonder if you know, but like, is that something you can ever fully get rid of? I mean, you can rewire some stuff, but some stuff you're kind of just, it's like being born with, you know, any, any, any kind of, you know, yeah. not a handicap, but any kind of proclivity yeah. that makes it hard for you to, some people have some people, for some people, it's really hard to lose weight or it's mm-hmm. hard to, people are built differently. People look different in clothes, even if they're really healthy, even if they're, Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I don't know if you ever get rid of it. You, I think you could change your relationship to it, you know, like if if I am I keep saying I because there's no one else in this room to use as an example. But if someone is feeling a lot of really heavy anxiety, for example, and they're telling themselves a story about how things will fall fall apart if they don't keep it all together and that's creating anxiety, you can get lost in that and believe that is the truth of the situation or with some work you can recognize that that's a voice in your head that is maybe a really unreliable narrator and then you can be separate from that voice so instead of identifying with that voice and feeling like that voice is you you can take a few steps away and go oh there's that voice again that doesn't really always serve me and maybe it served me when i was a kid maybe it served me in my past but it no longer actually works for me so i'm feeling that anxiety but I recognize that I am not that anxiety. So you can have some like separation from it, which I think is maybe the best you can do at times, right? I, I don't know if you saw it. Our mutual friend, Brian Murphy, posted that he's reading a book called How to Fight. Mm. And I'll be honest with you, some of it that he posted, I was like, nah, blah, 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 blah. It's a little wooey for me. But there mm-hmm. is one thing that he posted called listening to ourselves that mm-hmm. I think is really pertinent to what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. It says, sometimes when we attempt to listen to another person, we can't hear them because we haven't listened to ourselves first. Our own strong emotions and thoughts are so loud in our heart and in our head, crying out for our attention that we can't hear the other person. Before we listen to another, we need to spend time listening to ourselves. We can sit with ourselves, come home to ourselves, and listen to what emotions rise up without judging or interrupting them. We can listen to whatever thoughts come up as well, and then let them pass without holding on to them. Then when we've spent some time listening to ourselves, we're able to listen to those around us. I love that. What comes up for me is 
what comes up for me is you, you can't enter, let's say in a, in a couple situation, I can't with my boyfriend enter into um, a situation or a disagreement or a, some sort of conflict with him from an even playing field and really hear him if I don't know what my needs and my boundaries are. And if there's like a little kid version of me that needs to be taken care of. And so adult Katie is defensive and combative and can't hear what my boyfriend's saying because on some level, I haven't taken care. I can't take care of him because I haven't taken care of myself. It's like that, you know, put your mask on yourself before you help your neighbor kind of thing. And then when you do sit with yourself and you know what you need and what you want and what your what your thoughts really are and you allow those feelings to come up and you honor them, then you can be rooted enough in yourself to sit with another person and allow their stuff to come up and really hear them because you're not going to get super triggered by it. I completely agree. I think there's, mm-hmm. I think a big part of like what the trusting part of a relationship dynamic is that you trusting that your partner is doing their own work, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. like that, that has become more and more true the older I've gotten for sure. Like when I was younger, I just really felt, I mean, I'm a typical dude that wants to like save the women in my life or like save the people around me or I don't feel useful unless I'm helping solve a problem. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I like really believe I can help in a lot of areas, which is really frustrating for me to realize that like sometimes you're not really supposed to just help solve a damn problem. Sometimes you're supposed to sit and listen. That's very mm. frustrating for me. But as I've gotten older, it's like I really understand that that your partner sometimes, they're, well, they're just on their own path. That right. I, I so badly often want it to completely align with me. Mm. It, the older I get, the more I'm like, that is an insane expectation. That makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. But so what I'm hoping is happening and what I try to do in my own little world is like deal with my own shit so that I can be strong and available when my partner does need help or needs something for me or needs me to hear them or understand them. Yeah. So that those messes don't entangle with me. Just making sure I'm clearing as much debris as I can. Yeah. To be present for my for my family. So healthy. I know. I'm amazing. You really? I'm an amazing person. You're nailing it, Clint. <laughs> you That's are. why I give myself a round of applause every, every day. morning. Jesus. See, now when you're giving yourself that round of applause every morning, what story are you telling yourself? What is the internal self-talk? You're amazing. Yeah. You're handsome and talented and amazing. And it's Love amazing it. that more people don't know it. And I go ahead and just give, my, give, this, give an Oscar speech as well while I'm at it. I thank the Academy. I thank my parents. I thank my agent, of which I don't have. <laughs> it's okay. Don't even have one, but I thank them anyway. <laughs> You know what I mean? I think the Hollywood Four Impress. Why mm-hmm. not? They don't who know knows? who I am, but thank you to them. You know, thank you for what they do. <laughs> I uh, I really like that. I think I'm going to start waking up in the morning and giving myself. I'll tell you what I am going to start. You have actually inspired me. I know we're kind of joking, but you actually have inspired me to to, to be insane. Oh, I'm already insane. Yeah, yeah. I've already true. got that checkbox because I journal every day. So one of the things I was thinking about is I was kind of exploring this idea of intrapersonal communication is how is intrapersonal communication manifested outside of our minds? And it's funny because I was like, oh, well, for me, it's journaling. And also I would think songwriting. So it's interesting that that when I kind of did more research that this whole ethnomusicology thing came up, which was surprising. But if you think about for me, like journaling in the mornings or or songwriting, it's a lot of intrapersonal communication that then is just put onto paper, right? I mean, a lot of, not no, certainly not all songwriting, but some songwriting is really like the story that I've told myself in my head, these feelings that I've had that I've been wrestling with in my mind. And then I put them on a piece of paper and you add some music to it, you know? It's pretty cool. Yeah. I I guess there are different kinds of songs. There are some really confessional songs. There are some songs that are kind of fragments of dreams. and mm-hmm. But I think even those songs contain truths about i think what a songwriter does or what any storyteller does is they just look at the world however they see it some people look some people look around and see monsters Mm -hmm. i actually struggle with that sometimes when i look at the world i see the world as a very monstrous place my wife and i talk about that a lot like it's it's a worldview of that i'm actually slipping more and more into that i'm trying to counterbalance a little bit Mm -hmm. because i just feel like perceiving the world as monstrous makes it i feel like i'm less likely to get hurt and be when it's not monstrous, I feel like I really appreciate that. Mm. But some artists see a lot of hope or whatever. I think all an artist does is they look at the world and yeah, maybe they're telling themselves stories about what they see or about how they fit into it. And then they're just putting it, yeah, then they're just writing it. And I think a lot of times artists don't even understand their work until later. Mm. If you're kind of in the fire of it, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we had a we had a song yesterday 
uh, I'm in the song group with Bob Schneider that you know about. Mm-hmm. And I completely for- and the songs were due on Tuesday, and I completely forgot about the damn song until well, you can't forget. You get kicked out if you miss two weeks in a row. You get kicked out, and I kind of sort of take pride on not getting kicked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would too. So, I mean, I had we got home from the, me and Isabel went and saw a movie. Then I had to pick Nova up, and then just the night was slipping away. I basically had 20 minutes to write this song, and the phrase was 100 cops, which is <laughs> a tough a tough <laughs> phrase. Uh huh. So I just started writing. I have no idea where this came from. I wrote this in about 10 minutes, but the first, I'll read you the first verse in the chorus and I'll get to why I'm reading this. So I wrote, I literally, this is like, almost wrote this completely in order, just like this. I said, a hundred cops was all it took to stop my pops. He was a crook. He robbed the bank on Main Street this morning. The clerk was nervous looking, sweating like he had something cooking when pops took out his gun and fired a warning. I have no idea why my dad is robbing a bank. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so then I get to the next part. It says, he never was the thieving type. He said the steal was rarely right unless you're taking back what someone's stolen. So he put the suitcase on the ground and said without making a sound to empty out the vault till there's nothing. And then I got to the chorus, which is, there's nothing left, nothing left. Sometimes a man just ain't got nothing left. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's what the song's about. Mm-hmm. The song's about me feeling like, me feeling empty. Mm-hmm. And then it just, and then when I understood it's about a guy robbing a bank because he's desperate, you could just sort of place it on that. It could just be a, you know, mm-hmm. and the rest of the lyrics are as silly as the first two verses. They're just kind of a, they play out the, you know, the guy behind the counter presses the button that calls the police and the sheriff shows up and he's trigger happy. And, mm-hmm. but the chorus keeps coming back to nothing left, nothing left. Sometimes a man just ain't got nothing left. That's awesome. Yeah. And that, that's how I relate to what you're saying as a songwriter. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't know anyone who robbed this bank. My, I haven't talked to my dad in seven years, and he's, mm-hmm. as far as I know, not a bank robber. But, but there was there is that inner voice coming through the song. You yeah, know what I mean, for sure. And being forced to write it fast means I didn't really have that much time to go. Oh, you know, what'd be really clever, right? Right. Is right. That I wrote a song. It's about me, but it's not about me. It's about this guy in like a fictional world who's robbing a bank. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's so cool. And 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 in my very limited songwriting past, I think most of my stuff has been. Even if it's not verbatim, there's a lot of self story in there. Even like the the pandemic song I wrote, you know, was a hundred percent like, ooh, I feel really uncomfortable in this moment, what's happening in the world. And, you know, right. That's how it came out. But I and then there are songs though that are I mean, like there's songwriters like JP Sachs. Are you familiar with him? No. I like him a lot. It's he's um, but he's very literal. Like v- his lyrics are like incredibly like 4.30 in Toronto and I don't know where to go. Like, my dad's in the hospital. <laughs> like, it's so... It's like a diary entry that he's singing. Right, you know? right. Um, and he's he's great, but it's just a different style. But it's like his stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is... I can... I know exactly what's happening in your life, assuming it's true, because you have told us the specifics. Yeah, those have their place for sure. Like, a song that just really kind of tells you exactly what's going on. And sometimes... I deal with this when I co-write people a lot. Sometimes... I remember Taylor Swift said this. She was like, people in her like management or her label or whatever would criticize her for making her songs so literal, like just so specifically literal about her life. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, the idea is that, Hey, you know, you, a uh, lots of different kinds of people love your music and they all need to be able, you need to sort of be everyone, everything to everyone. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, I just think the more real I make it about me, the more real the song is to them. And then they can sort of discard mm-hmm. discard the details that don't matter to them a yellow raincoat that, but they maybe have a red raincoat and then right. you, they sort of project their own inner interpersonal story or narratives yeah. into a song but they trust her because she was honest. brave enough to make it honest and literal and believable yeah and so it just makes the whole exchange whatever that exchange is between a listener and, a, and an artist or whatever consumer mm-hmm. it just makes it all more powerful mm-hmm. we're doing a great episode that's coming out on the next one about John Lennon and uh, I wanted to read a quote from him that's about all this, but I don't know. I just read it this morning, but I don't know if I can find it. Oh, I want you to find it. We can, we can pause. We can do a little, (sighs) this is a natural time for a break. Oh, 
Oh, here we go. I found it. Oh, great. Amazing. Okay, let's see what he says. John met at the University of Toronto, Pop's greatest pundit, Marshall McLuhan. The dialogue of Starr and Seer testified to Lennon's ability to hold his own with even the fastest, subtlest, and most off-the-wall intellectual. Language is a form of organized stutter, proclaimed the philosopher of media, getting the game off to a typically stunning start. Literally, you chop your sounds up into bits in order to talk. So John Lennon was asked, how do you think about language in songs? And John replied, language in song to me, apart from being pure vibrations, is just like trying to describe a dream. And because we don't have telepathy, we try and describe the dream to each other to verify to each other what we know, what we believe to be inside each other. And the stuttering is right because we can't say it. No matter how you say it, it's never how you want to say it. Mm. So like even getting stuff down is always like in a way like a facsimile of what you actually subconsciously are feeling. Like, yeah. That's why great songwriters like John Lennon once said that he wanted to re-record every Beatles song. He didn't think any of them, in, none of the Beatles songs to him, which is insane, captured what he heard in his head. Mm. And mm. Dylan has said that too, Bob Dylan. He's like, he thinks all of his recordings are terrible. They're just snapshots of like, yeah, you know, the actual Sistine Chapel is in his mind and he, he couldn't get it right. Woody Allen has yeah. said that about his movie Manhattan, which I think is like not only one of his best movies, but like a masterpiece of cinema. When that movie was done, he hated it so much that he told the people who give him money for his movies that if they wouldn't release it, he would do the next film for free as long as they would not release that movie. It's just interesting. Some people, whatever they're hearing inside, they can't, even the artists that are trying to funnel it into something useful, practical for listeners. Or whatever they're experiencing inside, like that energy level or that, that, I don't know, synergy of all of these creative components and and brain firing off and all that stuff coming together, you can never really, it, it will always be like a snapshot version. It's like when you try to, when you see a beautiful sunset and you take a photo of it, the photo's like never as good as the actual thing, you know? Because yeah, or, for like concert, them, like, or taking concert footage or like, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's like, why, yeah. So for them, it's like this expression, the act of expressing is maybe the thing. And then the, the recording or the film that comes at the end of it is a byproduct of that expression. And then, But the byproduct is never really matches up to the feeling of the creating, maybe. It's interesting. And because it's just an echo. It's like, yeah, it's, not yeah, the real, exactly. it's not the real thing. It's an echo of it. And yeah. so the copies of it, even if it's something you're just getting down, the, the original analog is in your mind. And so yeah. everything you put down is just a, a de- degraded copy. Yeah. And it, it it's like trying to remember, it's like trying to tell someone, there's like nothing worse than someone trying to tell you their dream or you trying to explain your dream. Not because the dream isn't interesting, but it's because you can never really get it right. It's mm-hmm. like what, exactly what John Lennon was saying. You just, yeah. And the yeah. more you try, the further you get away from the essence of what it was. And so it, it almost just becomes like, here's what you should take pictures of. You should take pictures of yourself and your family when you're young and beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's when you should take pictures. Speaking of self-talk, I was thinking like when are some, like I was thinking about examples of myself and self-talk and how how I think it's helped me or, or, or hurt me. And what's so interesting is sometimes I will look back at photos of myself and like my late 20s or early 30s now. And I still feel beautiful now. Don't get me wrong. But I look back at those photos and I'm like, damn, I was hot. Yeah. But I did not. I feel hotter now. I feel more attractive now mm-hmm. than, I, than I felt when I was in my late 20s and early 30s. Even though if you were to hold up two photos, objectively speaking, I was probably hotter then. But the <laughs> feeling now is that I love myself more now. So the, my inner talk is different. So I feel and also an amazing man loves me, which is also, also helpful. But I feel much more attractive now. And I, and I know how I felt in those photos, which was not great. Yeah. But I look back and I'm like, why? Why? And it's because of what I was saying to myself and the way with with which I was looking at the world and then internalizing that. So that's an example of like some crazy self-talk that that now that I have perspective on now. So yeah. I always wonder now like what what self-talk am I doing now that Someday I'll look back at and go, oh, wow, Katie, you were so off the mark. Well, here's what I do with that. I do the same thing. I, I think everyone does. Sure. I'll look back at I'll look back at me when I was like 28 and be like, oh, I, mean, like, I remember when I was 28, I felt like I had gained a lot of weight. And now I'm like 20 pounds heavier than that. And I'm like, oh, my God, I was like, I was like a model then. <laughs> um, but here's what I tell myself now. Here's like the self-talk that can kind of change is I do mm-hmm. feel the same way. I feel equally... Like I feel equal amounts of self-hatred, but I tell myself like, Hey, you're going to feel, you're going to look back at this now in 10 years 
and have yeah. the same regret about not enjoying it. So that yeah. that gives me a little pause and I can be like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. That's up. I do the same thing. Or I'll just hate myself in a feedback loop for the rest of my life and then Well, let's 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 honor that. Let's feel that. <laughs> let's let that pass. It's interesting you were talking about the like in songwriting, John Lennon talking about like the words never really match up to 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 what he's trying to get out, the stuttering, you know. And in my acting work in my acting class that I was in for so long, we would do a lot of repetition where you talk about what you see and what you feel and mm-hmm. you, but it's a very like pared down linguistically. Like you just say the feeling word. So I would just say like, I'm happy, I'm happy. And you would repeat it back to me and we would until the moment changed. And one of the tricks in that, not the tricks, but one of the like sort of things you had to learn in that exercise was that whatever feeling word you use to describe how you were feeling was never going to really encapsulate really how you were feeling. Mm -hmm. You couldn't wait to find the right, the exact right word to then express your truth in that moment because there is not a word that's really going to match it. So you just had to say the thing that was closest and then trust that in the moment as it changed, you'd say the word that was then closest in the next moment. And for a lot of people that was really hard because they're super in their heads and they want to like get it exactly right. And it's like, you got to let all that go because what's happening inside language will never really be able to fully grasp it, which I thought was really beautiful. Yeah. Why are we so fucked up? You know, we're doing the best we can. We're in our heads. We need to take a breath and go out in nature. I call it the great trade. We've made this great trade like in nature where we're the only creatures that we know of that know we're going to die. And what that gives us, what the horror of that, I mean, it's just, it's a horrible thing to know. Most animals don't know. All they're concerned with is just surviving another day, feeding right. their babies, getting some food, getting some sleep. And then every day is just a groundhog day of that. Mm-hmm. There's no comedy or irony or joy or art. or, But that's all the good stuff we get for knowing we're going to die. It's just such a horrible thing that we we have things that we can enjoy. You know, We can enjoy security. We don't have to worry about a predator right. killing us all the time. Right. We get to sit around and just think of things and like be in love and mm-hmm. con- and like we get to think about the future, good and bad. Mm-hmm. But man, it has fucked us up. It's like it, it's like what an amazing thing we get to do, but it's almost like we're not really that equipped to handle it in a great way. Yeah, well, maybe we're not right now. Maybe that's just part of evolution of, you know, we've evolved to, you know, what is that hierarchy of needs where it's like, you know, survival and then it's connection and then it's self-actualization. There's some other moons in there. I can't remember. Where does Wendy's chicken sandwich? At the top. If you've got a Wendy's chicken sandwich. Number six. Yeah, that's spicy. I'm on like day 48 of a diet. I haven't eaten (laughs) any bullshit in so long. (laughs) I'm like, man, a Wendy's chicken sandwich number six. That's just like heaven on earth. Mm, I I have not. I've not partaken in the Wendy's chicken sandwich, but. uh, You serious? I I don't think so. I don't think I've been to a Wendy's since maybe high school. (laughs) Is Wendy the one with the red bang or the red, the red? That's Wendy. Yeah, that's okay. Wendy. They're known for their hamburgers, but I, mm. I mean, uh, I got to tell you, if you're you, you've mostly been a normal person as far as I know when it comes to food and stuff. You've always, <laughs> you've always been in shape and looked fine. You probably don't have the same problems I have. You probably are able to eat a Wendy sandwich without it being like heroin or something. I would encourage you and Joe to go get a number six. It's a number six, by the way. Number six. Number six, wherever you go. It's a spicy chicken sandwich. Okay. Well, I do like a spicy chicken sandwich. I I it's will. Um, I will tell you, though, that I did buy, and I did have some self-talk as I was doing it, but I did at Trader Joe's, they sold a container of like a condiment, and it looked a lot like the secret sauce on the In-N-Out burgers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm going to find out if it is. I for sure am. And as I was mm-hmm. buying it, I was like, why am I buying this giant container of in and out sauce from, or, you know, potential in and out sauce? Is this a decision I want to, you want to be making, Katie? So see, I was doing the, the uh, second person second talking person. to my, talking to myself as a parent kind of thing. Is this, this is the choice you want to make? And then I was like, yeah, it really is. Turns out it is the sauce and I never need to go to in and out ever again because really I realized the only reason I go there is for the sauce. So my version of that second person, the 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 three word question that I ask myself a lot: mm-hmm. What are you doing? What are you doing? Like you know, it could be food related. It's usually food related, mm-hmm. or like <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing. But bring it. Fuck Safe it. Space. I'll just tell. I'll tell the whole world. Um, I if I am in a mall situation mm-hmm. by myself, 
Here's me walking through the entire mall. Fake phone call. The ear. <laughs> fake phone call. There's not a single second that I'm not having a fake phone call. And I'll even talk out loud. I'll say, I always kind of say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which are like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I do a couple of yeah, 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 no, no, no's. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. That's not going to work. And I do a, lo- I do a lot scheduling. of- Scheduling. Uh, You're scheduling. I do a lot of scheduling. I'll say what time a lot. What time? No, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. What time? <laughs> And God knows why I do it. I do it so no one will talk to me. I do it so I don't have to feel. Who knows? Here's, we could we could we wait, could write down a lot of. I like really have to ask though. Are you afraid? Because I do this, but I do it in a very specific situation, which I'll get to. But like for you, are you afraid that you're like the like the popularity of Clint Wells? You're in that mall, and if you don't have that fake phone call, you're there's going to be a line around the block. You're not even going to be able to get to a store. I wish I could say it was because of my celebrity status, but I think it's because, I mean, who knows? I mean, they're, they're, the part of me goes, what am I going to do? Walk through the mall and not be on a fake phone call? What kind of crazy person would do that? Good God. What am I going to do? Just walk through? Just, just just walk from point A to point B? Yeah. You just swing your arms from side to side and like smile at people? Hell no. Am I, I'm, not, I'm not a crazy person. I love it. But yeah, I take the fake phone call quite often. But, but I'll think to myself while I'm doing it, even while I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. What time? I'll think to myself, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you doing oh, this? <laughs> I, I do that fake phone call in and out of grocery stores when there's people soliciting because I have a firm rule. I do not give money to people in front of in front of like like people who are like here's my cause or whatever i'm like cool tell me what the cause is i'll go home and look it up and vet it and then give money but i'm not gonna like stop on the street it's just that i don't they get aggressive it's it's very frustrating so they always get you on the way out so if i see someone there on the way in on the way out fake phone call hold up the yeah. phone hey yeah no just leaving yeah no i got the bread uh-huh isn't it funny that you say yeah no like <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no 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 it's like, why am I saying yes and no? Yeah, no. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got it. No, you don't have to worry. When people do the thing like when you're checking out, they're like, hey, do you want to round up a dollar for like St. Jude's Hospital? My thing is I never believe it's actually going to go there. Oh. But how about this response to that? Mm-hmm. I, I always feel curious. Like I always say this response to that. Mm-hmm. And every time I think to myself, what a weird thing to say. They'll go, would you like to donate $1 to uh, St. Jude's Hospital? I always say, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> What a weird thing to say. No, thank you. No, thanks. Like they just invited me to like a party. (laughs) I'm declining to, I'm ostensibly, I'm declining to help children who have cancer, but I'm saying no, thank you. No, thanks. No, thanks. Oh, man. Jesus. Um, Well, I have to say one more thing just for future mall trips. um, Make sure, (laughs) make sure that you open the phone up so that someone can't call you because I had the experience of walking out going, yeah, yeah, no ring. And then it rang and I got, I mean, I don't know if anybody really noticed, but you're just saying to nobody. Oh, I, I, I was on the phone, but I don't know why it's ringing again. It's weird. It's ringing. Can you hear the ringing? Yeah. (laughs) So that was embarrassing. So just, just like a quick, quick, no one in the world. No one calls me. So there's no, I tell you what I did when I first got an iPhone and I was like, I remember when I first got an iPhone, I was like, Ooh, I was like texting my friends that had already had iPhone. I'm always like three years behind Mm -hmm. the cool shit. Me too. I'm like, I'm like, what are some cool apps? dude? (laughs) And I do remember I had an app that was just so perfect for this, but I guess, I guess I'm just beyond that. Now I just take the fake phone call, but it was an app where you hit a button and you could set different timers and someone will it a fake phone call will come through oh. and you can have it you can have it like say mom oh and it, man. and, and it, it generates a fake number so that if you're in a in a tough sitch mm-hmm. you can actually show someone like oh my mom's calling i got to take this women used to do that for each other on dates like okay i'll call you i'll call you at 9 p.m. and way out. Yeah, yeah 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 so that's like a an app that does what a friend could do interesting <laughs> and that's what all technology does it, and it that's, does and, what human beings used to do and and all we're going to be left with is our robots and our self-talk they'll, they'll turn no I mean they'll turn us into batteries so they can fuel them, themselves and that's true that's the matrix then it'll only be intrapersonal communication forever it'll be us just in a pot of jelly going like oh remember when everyone had freedom yeah. to go outside and, but this is well, better is what we'll tell ourselves 
This is better. It's like an eternal fake phone call. Um, I did want to say one thing that I thought was really cool. I read this in one of my psychology textbooks. So it was talking about the difference between belief and knowledge and how it's processed in our brains. Like we have these different neural pathways and beliefs are processed unconsciously and knowledge is processed consciously. So when we are absorbing knowledge, we are taking that information and we're like consciously integrating it into what we already know and we're creating like a new schema or a new way of potentially a new way of of looking at things because we're gathering knowledge. But beliefs come in unconsciously and they just kind of like assimilate to the back and they sort of reinforce what we already believe. And we may not Unless we're really being conscious, we may not see things that counteract our beliefs. I think people, too, have an aversion to things that threaten like a dearly held belief because Mm -hmm. you construct a lot of who you are like on a foundation of your beliefs. Yes. And And you identify it with it. Yeah. And to have that threatened is just really painful. It's like hard. Yeah. You know, even someone like me that you know, I remember when I was coming out of re- a lot of religious stuff, that was just like a really painful growing, you know, mm-hmm. transition for me because it, you know, I was angry for a minute after it, you know, because mm-hmm. it, for 10 years I'd built this framework of like what the world was, what truth and reality were. And to right. kind of have that challenge was painful, but I survived it. And people do tend to survive it, but I get why there's like a, there's a pretty visceral knee jerk reaction when someone is kind of threatening that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does live in it lives in the back and it's what everything's kind of built on. You can rearrange knowledge like, oh, Pluto's a planet. Oh, Pluto's not a planet. Oh, it's a planet again. Fine. I can yep. I can deal with Pluto. Right. But like who you are fundamentally, what the world is fundamentally. And the way you've and, organized yourself within the world yeah. and, and decided how you're good or bad with relation to these systems, you know, yeah. that are of course just constructs that we are creating in our minds and in our self talk. All right, I have one for you. In a dream world, your okay. self-talk voice, let's say it's like uh, it's like a Garmin or it's like Siri. Yes. And you can have it be any voice. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a little rotating cast. Yeah. Who are your voices? Like for me, for example, I got I got a Michael Caine. There's mm-hmm. a Michael Caine in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would love to have Michael Caine. I would love to have Morgan Freeman. Mm. Oh, I'd, I'd want a little Alan Rickman in there. Alan Rickman would be great. Yeah. Oh, Obviously. I was just going to do that. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. Potter. Uh, Obviously. I listen to Harry Potter oftentimes, like almost every day, a little bit. Uh, so it's <laughs> just this rotating. So basically all of my self-talk is just Harry Potter related. Wingardium right. um, Leviosa. Wingardium Leviosa. Nova will tell me, she's like, Dad, do the Harry Potter voice. And the only thing I can do to like crack into is I go, He's Harry Potter, he is. It's always that, whoever that guy is. The <laughs> Irish guy, maybe. He's Harry Potter, he is. Uh, is is that the guy in Diagon Alley in the, in the beginning? I don't know who that is. I don't know who it is either, but it's that's my... That's, that's, and we're just going to say it's a guy in Diagon Alley. It's, it's a guy in Diagon Alley, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. I'd say Alan Rickman. I'd like Alan Rickman to be in there. I'd like a little, like, Kate Blanchett. I like her. She's oh, a very soothing, soothing yeah. tone. Yeah. She's British, right? I guess I like my British people. Yeah. yeah. Who else would I like... Um, little Stephen Hawking. <laughs> I mean, I want the science that he brings to the table, right? right. And also, like, I also I'm going to be honest with you. I like my voice, not because I'm a Kate Blanchett or an Alan Rickman, but because it's comforting. You know, mm, you yeah. know. And at the end of the day, all we really we have a lot of beautiful things in this world, but we ha- we are always with ourselves. So you got to figure out how to love yourself. So I would say in a in a dream world, it would be. Just this cacophony of of Alan Rickman, Kate Blanchett, and me talking to me, but in really loving ways, and starting the day off with with just a round of applause. Oh yeah, absolutely. Before, and that's what I was going to say. Before I check my phone, before I check my email, before I do anything, is like opening up my journal and maybe writing a few things about what I'm thankful for and uh, why I'm appreciative to be where I am. And don't forget to give the acceptance speech. Oh, if you don't think I've given acceptance speeches and sobbed through them in the car right. and I mean multiple times and now it's more like I'm writing the thank you 
section of a book, like I've written a book and I'm writing the thank yous and and I can just start sobbing as I'm like writing my list of people I'm thankful for in a in a in a book flap. So that's what it's it's turned into. You've made the list. How about instead of the fake phone call in the mall, mm-hmm. you're just reading and sobbing through a an acceptance speech. <laughs> That's going to keep them from trying to get you to give to St. Jude's, believe me. That's, that has also probably happened in L.A. to someone at some point. It's <laughs> it just totally sobbing has. through an ex- acceptance speech. File that under L.A.'s story on a Tuesday. <laughs> Only heard in L.A. <laughs> what about you, Clint? In a dream world, what would you want to hear your internal self say? Um, hmm, it's just like the goodwill hunting moment where I say, it's not your fault, Will. I would want my voice to say, it's not your fault, Will. <laughs> And then I'd be like, "Oh, he's been talking to the wrong guy this it's whole like, time." Oh, th- you're in the wrong. You're in the. Wrong. I'm so sorry. You've got the wrong. You've got the wrong person. I don't know. I don't. I don't have. I don't really. Ha- I mean, I joke a lot about sort of self hatred, but I don't have a lot of fraud syndrome. I don't have a here's, ton of that. Here's my question: Then, in a dream world, what kind of internal self talk would you want Nova to have? Oh, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. And, and any parent would resonate with this or anyone who's got kids in their lives that they love like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think about it in terms of, because it's a little girl, I think about it in terms of obviously the, the kind of man she might end up with, mm-hmm. which is just like a good man, probably someone like me, honestly. And I just want her to have enough self-love that any situation she finds herself in, she's she has control over it. Mm-hmm. You know, like... There's all sorts of ideas or things that she might get into that I wouldn't. And mm-hmm. I, I, I make room for that, her experiences. Yeah. I just hope that whatever it is, that she's not there because she's afraid or being manipulated or out of control yeah. at the whim of some shithead. I, I hope that I hope that she is the, you know, arbiter of her life and that yeah. she has the power. Mm-hmm. I just hope that she has power. Mm-hmm. And out of obvious other concerns about her just like being secure and making, being able to make money, being self-sufficient, being healthy. I think about her in terms of like how she's going to relate to partners in her life. And I just hope that all of those decisions come from strength and not weakness. Yeah. So her self-talk would be rooted in strength and self-love. Yeah. 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 Maybe her being like, I, I was loved my whole life and I, I love yeah. myself and respect myself. So why am I going to let A, B or C happen to me? Fuck no. I'm fucking out of here. Yeah. You know? That's cool. That's I think about that. You know? That's cool. Speaking of kids in our lives that we love, there's a Jason Mraz song that, uh, have you heard his Have It All song? It was on like two albums ago. Hmm. It's called ha- It's called Have It All. I cannot listen to that. It's a happy song. Really happy song. I cannot listen to that song and think about my nephew and not just ball because it is like a like it can I mean it's, you know you can put your own story into that song but for me it's like this love letter to someone someone you love that you feel protective of and it's like I hope right. you have literally everything and this is why because you're such a beautiful creature and I I can't hear it without thinking of my nephew and just like just losing it so anyway just thought of I'm that. with you. Yeah. I'm with you. There's certain songs or things that hit you. And those are good. And that just reminds you that you care about something so deeply. And yeah, that's the best. I tend to let those I tend to let that wash over me. I tend to enjoy that. Yeah. It's a good and stuff. And then you know what I do right after that? Take a fake phone call. <laughs> <laughs> with Clinton Katie is recorded in Los Angeles, California and Nashville, Tennessee and is produced by Clint Wills. Consider joining us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month for access to exclusive content. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Katie and Clint or send us an email to a to z clintonkatie at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.